With us today is Lisa Headley, the founder and creator of the Mayflower Spa, with another edition segment of Lisa Headley's Strategies for Dealing with Stress. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm very well. <laughs> I'm a little tired of the rain, I have to admit. Okay. I mean, my so garden st- seems happy, but it, it's a lot of rain for me. So, so starting right there. What do you do with people who are, you know, j- j- who are just leveled, fundamentally, understandably, leveled by the weather? Well, they have to find ways to amuse themselves in any weather. It's very simple. This is what I do. I have this constant struggle. I think we talked about this in the winter, where I really fundamentally don't like winter, but I just find ways to make winter work. So that's what the work is. The work is about, rather than getting all stressed out about it and going, oh, I hate this, because once I say I hate it, I hate it even more. Right. So I have to then say, okay, I'm there with you on that. This. Yeah, right. But I, it's that's part of the conversion process. You have to convert things that aggravate you somehow into things that maybe you're not going to enjoy, but that don't aggravate you and therefore, you know, make you crazy and imbalanced in that direction. You know, well, it dovetails nicely into my thoughts for, for this week, which have to do with prevention and management. Okay. And I think that we. You know, there's two distinct things that we have to do in terms of dealing with the stress in our lives. And one of them is to simply prevent that situation from happening. And the other is once you've got it, then you have to learn to manage it. But you really don't want to get to the management phase. You want to, you want to work with the prevention phase. So, for example, when it's a seasonal thing like winter is coming and I know I don't like winter, and I think we did talk about this in, pa- in shows that had to do with the fall last year, that I really start a couple of weeks before the weather turns, like before those first signs of leaves changing, for example, because for me it's winter, I start to work with, well, what am I going to do to make this enjoyable? What, you know, I make those kind of lists in my head, like the pros and the cons, and then I look at that con list. I don't like to be cold. I don't like the, the cold wind. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't sleep quite as well. You know, I make the list. And then I set about figuring out how I'm going to sort of incapacitate those negative forces. You know, I think of it as a kind of war against those negative forces. And then I figure out, okay, well, what's that going to take for me? Well, it's going to take making sure my body's warm at all times so that I just don't feel so much the physical effects of that cold. Or let's, let's convert this to somebody that really doesn't like hot weather because that's where we are right now. And that doesn't happen to be me, but let's convert this paradigm. So you know that the hot weather is going to aggravate you. So what are you going to do? You're going to start eating a more cooling diet. You know, you're going to avoid very hot, spicy, oily foods, which are just going to aggravate that sense of of annoyance with the heat. So you're going to work with the internal temperature, literally, of your body and your digestive system. You're going to figure out, hmm, if I usually exercise at midday, I'm not going to do that because it's the heat of the day and that's just going to add hot on top of hot. And that's just nothing but a recipe for pure aggravation. So, again, take this season and say, what are the things that drive me nuts about this season? Where, where, where do I break down in this season? And then figure out a strategy for really undermining them. Undermine them. Think of them as little demons. Each one is a little demon with a personality. And you've got to find a way to deactivate it. You know, you could think of it like Star Wars. <laughs> or what are those things my kids used to like? Pokemon. <laughs> little Pokemon characters. You know, uh, there's the prickly heat. Prickly heat is a Pokemon character. 
and you don't want to get prickly heat. So what are you going to do? How are you going to deactivate prickly heat? Well, take a nice cool swim in a lake in the morning or your pool if you're lucky enough to have one. Or take a nice cool shower in the morning. Set yourself up for a nice day of cool thinking. Um, make some sun tea on your porch so that you've got a nice thing of iced tea that you've taken the time to make yourself. You've given it the thought. You've prepared it. And even that preparation makes you, puts you in a mind of healing yourself, taking care of yourself. I know I'm going to need this iced tea later. I'm going to make it for myself. And then when you drink it, it's so much sweeter. I mean, quite literally, if you put sugar in it. But, you know, it tastes so much. It, it serves its purpose so much better because you've integrated the intention behind it along with the really soothing, cooling properties of the thing, in fact. So this isn't gobbledygook and wooey nonsense. This is just really practical strategies for preventing the stress of not enjoying the season. Now, for me, I just said to you, I'm a little sick of this rain, what am I going to do about that? Well, why am I sick of the rain? Well, because I feel disappointed. I feel like it ha- summer hasn't started yet. Okay, but summer has started. My kids are out of school, and it is literally the summer season when things are open, like the little restaurant in Roxbury is now open Sunday nights, and, you know, the summer season is in flow. So I've got to find ways to say, okay, it doesn't matter if it rains. I'll do this and this and this. I just haven't quite figured that out yet. So the ra- So the rain was sort of aggravating me. In fact... Since I got to the point of saying, oh, the rain's aggravating me, I I missed the prevention phase. You know, I didn't foresee that I was going to have days and days and days of rain and that that was going to annoy me and it was going to ruin my peonies. You know, I just didn't think about that. So now I'm in the stage where I have to manage that. I have to manage the annoyance that I have. So now I've got to back things out and figure out ways to not be annoyed. So that's where I'm, I'm just playing with this idea of, okay, as much as I can, as much as we can, as much as listeners can, you've got to prevent things that you just know are going to stress you out. And we've, you know, you've mentioned this before, like, okay, you're going on a holiday with family. Well, you know that you get aggravated by, you know, Cousin Lou. Okay, so find a way to either diffuse that or avoid Cousin Lou or whatever you have to do to make it more comfortable so that you don't have to get to the management phase of, okay, now I'm really aggravated. How the heck am I going back into that room and be civil? Right? Absolutely. So, so that's my, my big thing of the week, which is really, and also, you know, once you're in the management phase of things, you start to identify with it a lot. It becomes part of what you're, the story you tell yourself about your identity. So, okay, I'm really aggravated by rain. I'm, I, this rain is just aggravating me. And see, I told you, rain aggravates me and now I'm aggravated. I'm, the way I'm saying that, I'm identified with it. It's, my thing. And that, those things are harder to let go of because once they become your thing and you're identified, you then got to unravel that relationship to it to let it go, right? You have to become a person that's not attached to not liking the rainy weather. Like, I, you know, whenever the, the thing comes with an after statement of, well, you know me, I hate winter, then you know you're too closely identified with it to be able to be objective enough to pull yourself back and manage it really effectively. So, you know, that requires this old, that old thing we always talk about, which is awareness. It requires you to find ways to objectify experiences so that they're not so under your skin. You know, those expressions like under your skin, that's a, that's a, that's a, a real expression. When something gets under your skin, it's already embedded. It's 
much harder to get out than when it's on the surface and you can just repel it, right? Just, I'm just finding all these metaphors that we all deal with in life all the time, or we think about all the time, but we don't really think about them as practical strategies, but they, they are. Don't let something or somebody get under your skin. Wear repellent. <laughs> yes, find, find, right? find a way not to. Find the time to think of, as you said, you know, if making sun tea will feel you, make you feel good, then instead of urging about how cranky you are, use that time to find something that will make you feel good. And be very present in the process. I mean, that's these words, oh, God, they make yeah, me nauseous just saying them. But be present. But being present is what it's all about. And the further away you get from the present, the more likely you are to be anxious, to be aggravated, and to be annoyed. Because there's too much space between expectation and reality. And the space is like God knows what to do with idle hands. The space between expectation and reality is the space where we get uji, as you would say. You know, you got too much time on your hands between those two ideas. And so bad things happen. <laughs> and they certainly can. Oh, yeah. Don't go looking for trouble because it'll find you. My grandmother always used to say that. Say, Don't go looking for trouble. It's always I know. And, and anyway. I never quite understood why anybody would want to, except the fact is that. We all uh... do. <laughs> we all do. Right. <laughs> so. You know, and we know that, so you just got to have a sense of humor about all this stuff, too. But, you know, I've recently, just because as part of my studies, we really have been talking about um, uh, how the microcosm is always part of the macrocosm. You know, everything, like every, every, every part of your body has a counterpart within it. Like the way that cells, I mean, just to be really literal about it, the way cells are structured is also the way bodies are structured, is also the way atoms have been discovered to function in the universe. You know, it's everything follows a similar pattern of structure. And it's useful to think that way sometimes, just to allow yourself to play that out, because then you can take comfort in that and know that there's ways around these problems because your body, for example, solves these problems every day. You know, the cell has cellular intelligence. It knows how to make up for little deficits here and there and keep itself balanced so it stays alive and stays functioning. You know, when a cell mutates and becomes a cancer cell, it has stopped having its cellular intelligence. It's, something has come in and subverted its cellular intelligence. So, you know, it sort of self-destructs. So the same thing is true in terms of your emotions and your moods and your tempers and your temperament which is to say to create stability is to stay alive and healthy and flexible and working in a happy way in the world. But once that system gets perverted and you feel like you don't have the innate cellular intelligence, if you will, to function, then you start to get in trouble and you lose your way. You stop being able to rely on your intuition. You get confused. You you respond to people in rash ways. You frequently do exactly the thing that exacerbates the situation rather than helps fix it because you've lost your intelligence about it, this innate thing that doesn't require intellectual thought. It just happens. And a lot of times we get our intellect in this and we go, well, I think that I can solve this relationship problem I'm having, but, and you overthink it, and then all of a sudden you've created more of a problem than you had to begin with. That's all about intuition and cellular intelligence, and that's part of the prevention game. Because when you're in the prevention game, you're still very aware. You're aware of what's going to bother you in advance, and therefore when you see it coming, 
you fix it before you get there and are in crisis mode and can't fix it, and it takes over. So I hope I haven't been too abstract here. I'm trying to. No, I, I no, I, I, I don't. I don't think you have, and I've been listening like a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, I the the only thing that I keep coming up against is. It, <laughs> Everybody has their little voice that that says reasons not to. You know, everybody's got that little. It it it, it seems that that channel is that that has more access or leverage than the other voice that says, "Wait, you know, wait, I can I, I can reconfigure this. I can make this work." Well, that's, that gets back to kind of, I think, back to a practice conversation where once you start to trust yourself and your intuitions, when you know how to access that place and you trust it, life goes a lot more smoothly than when you're buffeted by so many forces and opinions and fads and whatever it is. You're buffeted. And when you're buffeted, you cannot respond in an, quote, intelligent way, you know, in an intuitively... Um, natural way. You just can't. You, you subverted those abilities. And that's common, and it's particularly common in our society where we have so much noise. There is so much noise. There's people on television telling you I got stuck myself, believing that I needed to buy all new hangers for my closet because I got stuck on the Home Shopping Network the other night. And the huggable hangers looked really great. And then I thought, actually... I don't need extra space in my closet, then actually I don't have the problem they're describing. They were describing how everyone's closet's a total wreck and their clothes are falling off the hangers. Now, if anyone listening out there finds that that's true, then go to the Home Shopping Network and buy huggable hangers. But I realized that I was buying into it. It was a very good sales pitch. It was a very, very succinct message, and it made me feel like I had that problem and here was the solution. And I started to even pick up the phone and buy the darn things. And then I thought, wait a minute, I don't, I'm lucky. I don't, actually, first of all, I don't like to shop. I don't have a lot of clothes. I don't do it for my kids. So they don't have cluttered closets. They don't need more space because they have these extra thin hangers. But the world is very adept at giving, especially the commercial world, at giving you messages that tap into your fears, that tap into your desires, that create desires. And those things, the fears and the desires, are the best thing I know for subverting your natural innate intelligence. Those, they go right to the point. And, you know, it takes a lot of awareness to be able to say, ooh, I don't actually have that problem. I don't actually need those hangers. But, I mean, I don't want to say that it's awareness. I don't want to pat myself on the back like that. Really what it was is as I picked up the phone, I thought, I have bought too many things this month. And I just don't have any more budget for stuff. And then I thought, good, because I don't really have that problem and I don't need those hangers anyway. But, you know, if I had been maybe practiced a little more of what I preach, and that is to say, before any action, any real action in your life, if you could take a split second and say, oh, what am I doing? How does this apply to the context of my life? I could have stopped myself anyway. But that requires this awareness step the step of just constantly questioning yourself. And I know that sounds kind of self-censoring and boring and like, what are we going to do? I'll become these like boring people who go, well, but do I really need that? And then life loses its spontaneity on the one hand. On the other hand, the more you practice strategies like that in your world, the strategies which keep you in that place of prevention, 
the more things are going to flow, and soon, I think it's like driving a stick shift. Your your world just becomes a kind of a flowing place. I'm going to give you another quick example. I have been practicing recently, again, as a homework assignment from school, really, to take stock of how I feel before a me- each meal, how I feel, literally. How does my digestion feel? How does my head feel? Heavy, light, confused, anxious, all those factors to take them into account. And then, since I've been learning about the qualities of different foods, thinking about what I'm going to eat and how it's going to help or hinder that state that I'm currently in. That requires a lot of awareness. And when I first started doing it, I was aggravated by it. I was like, oh, my goodness gracious, I'm going to take all this time to do this stupid damn thing. Why don't I just eat the grilled cheese sandwich? But as I've been doing it, I find, A, I feel much better because I'm really listening to myself. I'm having a conversation with myself about what I should be eating. And I just find myself much more balanced, my digestion better, my energy better, my sleep better. All those things that fall apart under stress are suddenly feeling not hugely better. I mean, I, you know, and I wasn't feeling terrible to begin with, but I can feel the difference. And 